What up, world? It's your past first point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. You're listening to another episode of Lockdown Blazers, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. It's another edition of Mailbag Monday, a full show answering listener-submitted questions. If you want to get involved, it's easy. Just tweet at me, at Mike G. Rich, or watch the skies on Monday morning when I put out a tweet soliciting questions, at Mike G. Rich on Twitter. We do it every week. It's a cherished, cherished part of everyone's week, including my own. That's how you get involved. Let's get it going. A show full of questions. This first one comes from Jay Smoof at Juicy Moose 3424 on Twitter who asks, is Dame really going to backpack these dudes to the playoffs? Okay, this is a great question because it's timely. Dame is really backpacking these dudes and it introduces a new bit of slang to the podcast where Dame is backpacking these dudes because that's what he is. He's putting them on his back and carrying these fools to the playoffs. If you had asked me two weeks ago, Jay Smooth, I probably would have said, yeah, the Blazers are, I believe I told someone that they're more likely than not to make the playoffs a couple weeks ago. But now LaMarcus Aldridge shoots three-pointers and I'm less confident. Since Christmas, LaMarcus Aldridge shoots like four three-pointers a game. He's had multiple games when he shot more than six. And you're like, what does that mean? Why do I care? Well, the Spurs are not a good defensive team, but they're finally figuring out how they're going to be a really good offensive team, and that means take less twos. DeMar DeRozan doesn't take any threes, but the other mid-range obsessed star on their team, LaMarcus, starting to take threes. They're 8-8 eight eight since Christmas. The Blazers are 6-10. and 10. Spurs seem like they're going to be a bigger hurdle. They're not going anywhere. Got to throw Memphis in there. They're 9-3 and three in January. The Grizzlies are good. I'm, like I said, two weeks ago I would have said yes. He's backpacking these dudes into the playoffs. But I'm starting to feel less sure. I'm going to move them from, fifty. they were 51% likely to make the playoffs. More likely than not to make the playoffs two weeks ago. I have now shifted them to 49.5 likely to make the playoffs. They are slightly, slightly more likely to miss the dance. Okay, next question comes from Justin Sisney at Justin underscore Sisney on Twitter, who asks, with Dame playing at MVP status this season, hypothetically, how much would breaking the Showtime Lakers win streak and winning out the schedule add to him winning the MVP trophy? Justin, it would be a very, very valuable to his crown if the Blazers were to build on their current two-game winning streak and rip off 35 more wins to close the season. However, a quick history lesson. The winning streak you're referring to is not the Showtime Lakers. It is the 71-72 Lakers who won 33 games in a row. That's Wilt Chamberlain, Elgin Baylor, Jerry West, Gail Goodrich. Uh, it's a lot of Hall of Famers on one team. For what it's worth, the Showtime Lakers once won 16 straight from January 9th to February 9th, 1991. And the 99-2000 Kobe Shaq Lakers won 19 straight to February 4th March to March 16th, 2000. So, yeah, um, if the Blazers close the season by winning 37 in a row, Damian Lillard is going to win the MVP. And, man, are we going to have a lot to talk about on this here podcast. Okay, next question comes from Logan Gillis, who asks, What do you make of Trevor Reza's fit so far? And how many games in a row does Dame have to score 40-plus points for this team to make the playoffs? Um... Okay, it's less than, let's start with the Dame part first. It's less than 37. He does not have to score 40 for the final 35 games of the season. I guess it would be 38 
because of how math works. Also, I realize I said 37-game win streak. They only have 36 wins in the previous question. I apologize for uh, making that mistake in my notes. But how many how many games in a row does he have to score? 40? Uh, let's say 12. 12 in a row. He hits 12 straight games at 40. The Blazers make the playoffs. What do I make of Ariza's fit so far? I'm glad you asked this question. Um, not everyone is super topical, so sometimes these mailbags aren't uh, on... They don't fit the sort of my plan for uh, content, but Logan... You brought us back to the to the relevance, and I appreciate you for that. Trevor Reese has played two games. In game one, he had 21 points, which was a season high for his for scoring for him. He also played a season high in minutes, and they asked him to guard Luka Doncic. Um, uh, that's unfair. That's an unfair thing. Uh, in game two, he one of his close friends died. Kobe Bryant. Uh, hours before tip-off, and he had seven points on two of seven shooting, but the Blazers did outscore the Pacers by 18 points in 32 minutes when Ariza was on the court. Man, um, those are tough games to to judge, really. Um, Defensively, it's like he couldn't guard one of the top five offensive players in the league, sure, but he looked good on offense in game one. Game two, he kind of just looked like a, a role player. He had a couple. He had a couple nice plays where he just he moved the ball quickly. He made smart decisions, things like that. But uh, clearly, he was playing with a heavy heart, a lot on his mind. Um, I don't think that's a good game to sort of judge his overall production. But to me, he is without a doubt better than Kent Bazemore, and that is all the Blazers needed for this to be a successful trade. Throw in that Caleb Swanigan has been fine. Um, Trevor Reza is way better on the Blazers than I thought he would be, and that's 60 minutes into his career. So uh, I was wrong. Trevor Reza looks fine. He looks fine. Next question. These are actually two questions. Got them right after Thursday's game against the Dallas Mavericks when Hote Kim at underscore Hote at Hote underscore Kim 97. Let's get that Twitter handle right, okay? Asked, why does Mario Hazonia play over Nas? Was Nas late for practice? Also, Amy Hall at Accounting Rocks, A-C-C-T-G-R-O-C-K-S, Accounting Rocks with less vowels, asked, why does Stas play Littlemore? Seems like he would be helpful on defense. Couldn't he play instead of Azonia? Yeah, okay, you both were um, watching that Mavericks game and like, yo, why do I have to watch Mario Hazonia? Uh, Amy and Hotai, you 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 both nailed it. Um, here's why that happened. I don't, I, I'm not, I'm not giving you a value judgment. I'm giving you a Terry Stas decision-making judgment. With Hazonia out, with CJ out, CJ missed the game against the Dallas Mavericks. Hazonia played 14 minutes against Dallas and y'all were mad because Mario Hazonia is mostly bad when he plays. But when CJ came back against the Pacers, Mario didn't play. Nas played 12 minutes off the bench. Why Mario played in the Dallas game and not the Indiana game is because the Blazers need another. In theory, in theory, Stotts wanted another ball handler on the on that bench unit. He wants someone else who could dribble, someone else who could initiate, so it doesn't all fall on Anthony Simons or Gary Trent Jr. to bring the ball across the court, ball across midcourt. Uh, Nazir Little can't do that. Um, also, that would have meant playing Nas next to Carmelo a bunch which is something that while well, he started the game like that a couple a, a little bit he's uh, Terry has avoided that for the most part so it's really he just wanted another ball into ball handler in there so uh, Hazonia would Hazonia got those minutes um 
If CJ's healthy, I think Nas gets the nod ahead of him in the lineup as a backup power forward. Okay, Amy Hall asked another one. At Accounting Rocks on Twitter still asked, do you think there's a chance that Dame will change the way he plays and back off a little bit to save himself for next year when they'll hopefully be better? Given the recent trade, it seems like management is sort of giving up on the season, but Dame is resisting that. I don't know if they're giving up on the season. I think they were giving up on it on the team being as expensive. Uh, Kent Bazemore wasn't very good. They just didn't. They swung a low impact trade. Um, so I don't think that I think that it was a pretty neutral trade as far as giving up on the season. But your point, will Dame, Dame change the way he plays? Whoo boy. Um, let me get another question there and then I'll answer the both at the same time. Neil Olshay's burner at paint in PDX on Twitter asks, we've heard about load management form before. At the time, it was a more of a hypothetical. Lately, Dame has carried a heavy burden and it has been hell of a lot of fun. Is there any concern about long-term consequences of heavy minutes and usage? So yeah, uh, Amy asking, will Dame back off a little bit and save himself? Uh, Peyton PDX may be asking if the Blazers will try to save Dame from himself. And, whoo boy, no. No is the answer to that. They, they, The Blazers aren't going to back off. Dame isn't going to back off. In fact, this week he said that now is the time that he is going to start turning up. When you start ca- carrying the burden a little bit more, uh, he says each year he kind of waits and, and feels, feels himself out and kind of picks his spots in the seasons to really go all in uh, because you can't go this hard for 82 games. Um, and when he was talking about that, here's what he said. Definitely getting close to that time. I think it's more that right now because CJ is not playing. We just traded Bays and AT. We are just a little more shorthanded. It's definitely necessary the last few games, but it's definitely getting toward that towards that time. Dame said that after he had 61 against the Golden State Warriors. Listen, he's going to go hard and push for the playoffs. The Blazers are not... They're not in a position to tell him not to because they're not far enough away from the playoffs to tell him it's not a good idea. They've stated publicly, at least coaching staff and players, that they want to make the playoffs. Um, The long-term concern that you mentioned, Peyton PDX, um, I I just don't think Dame thinks like that. I don't think he thinks "Mm, these final 30 games are going to cost me big down the stretch. Um or big down the stretch of my career. I, I just don't think he's wired that way. And he's certainly not wired, as Amy asked in her question, um, whether he's going to back off and save himself a little. It's just not who he is. He's going to go incredibly hard, for better or for worse. Okay, second segment, we're going to come back. More of your questions. All right, still Mailbag Monday. We're still rolling along with more of your questions. All episode long. So let's keep it rolling. At KJM, excuse me, KJ. M underscore B-Ball at B-Ball KJM on Twitter asks, do you have a memory of Kobe versus the Trailblazers other than the 2000 Western Conference Finals that sticks out to you? Hmm. <laughs> His final game in Portland really sticks out because he was terrible and um, like he just, it, he was just at a stage in his career where he wasn't a good basketball player anymore. And the arena kind of like paid tribute to him by booing him every time he touched the ball he didn't play very much but when he got every time he touched the ball the Blazers fans would boo him and it was kind of this like um sort of ritualistic recognition of um of a all-time great and a super villain for in in Rip City having his last moment and he had a great quote after the game I covered the game as and wrote about this um I think you can find it somehow if you're good at the internet um that he he thanked the he thanked 
the Moda Center for booing him. He thanked the Rose Garden for booing him. Um, it was it was really special. Um, the other one that sticks out is is forcing overtime and then hitting the game winner um, in double overtime in 2004. He hit the first shot over Ruben Patterson, which was just wild. The second one over Theo Ratliff, which was also wild. Um, I didn't live in Oregon then, but it's a game that I just remember from from time. Uh, I really remember his final game ever in the NBA. Um, the Blazers also played that night, but they were tracking it um, on the bench, and so it was, it was a kind of a meaningless game 82. And so the media members were also, we were sitting there watching, uh, they have TVs on press, so we're sitting there watching the game. He has 60 points on 50 shots, just an absolutely absurdly Kobe fourth quarter where he takes virtually every single shot. It's just, um, it's, it's really, it was really something. And then afterwards, everyone's reaction, like the, no one, the only thing anyone wanted to talk about in the Blazers locker room, particularly like Dame, I remember Dame and Mason Plumley. they're just talking about the dude took 50 shots. Like he's such a legend who could even get off 50 shots at his age and blah, 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 blah. It was, um, just, it showed how much they really admired him and how much he meant to this generation of basketball players. And I think that moment really sticks out to me. But my favorite, favorite sort of dumb Kobe Trailblazers thing is that one time Luis Montero, little used wing on the end of the Blazers bench, the game was in Staples Center and he was like talking smack to Kobe running his mouth. And Kobe Bryant told him, uh, don't talk to me if you weren't born when I started playing. You're not old enough to talk. You're not old enough to talk trash. I believe he used another word, but you're not old enough to talk trash is what... He said, and then, and Kobe said in this, um, in a press conference, he said that the guy said, yes, sir. And so my favorite part of the story is that I, a couple days later, I was chased down Luis Montero at practice. And I said, did you really say yes, sir? And he said, no, I didn't say yes, sir. I said, okay, sir. <laughs> so Kobe told, told uh, one of the, told a Blazers bench player to not talk trash. And the, the guy literally said, okay, sir. That's just an incredible Kobe moment. Okay, moving on. Next question from Spokeland at Brutal Telling on Twitter, who asks, Sunday's win over the Pacers was the team's best home performance of the year. Agree or disagree? Um, best home performance of the year? Yeah. I think their best game of the year is still that win in Houston. Uh, I don't, don't think it's particularly close. I think that is very clearly the game where they played the best. They were most locked into what they wanted to do defensively, um, just... That's their best one of the year. But best home performance of the year, uh, it's, it's, I mean, there's a win over OKC they had earlier in the season in December that at the time uh, OKC was kind of scuffling, so it didn't feel as good. But I think looking back, we'll appreciate that that was a really, the Blazers played really, really well that night. Uh, that was early on when Melo joined the team. Um, so I, maybe in retrospect, but it just didn't have the same feel. I think against the Pacers, it was their best offensive performance of the year. The Blazers posted an absolutely absurd 139 offensive rating. That's like 1.4 points per per possession. They basically, I mean, that's that's really good. I don't need to do the math for you guys. Um, that's easily the best of the season. Um, one of the best in the NBA this season uh, related. They had their best offensive rebound rate of any game. They cleaned up the glass. Uh, Pacers didn't have a bunch of bigs. They usually play with two bigs. They played mostly small lineups, um, smaller lineups, I should say. Uh, obviously, getting offensive rebound helps your offensive rating, so those things are connected. It was the second highest effective field goal percentage the Blazers had um, all, all season long. They shot a season high 57% from three and made 23 pointers. Um, this was as good as they've looked. The third quarter, particularly, was as good as they've looked, just ball movement execution wise. Um, 
it, that was that was the the dream right there. Dame was hitting everything. He's playing fantastic. CJ was was making shots. He had six threes. Trevor Reza was moving the ball and not and making good decisions. Carmelo was um, was part of that offensive flow just with his decision making and his his spacing and things like that. Hassan Whiteside was really good during that stretch. I think that third quarter was as good as they've looked on offense all year. Um, obviously, the Pacers are undermanned and all those things, but. Um, uh, yeah, I think I think that's a. I agree. Best home performance of the year. I'm with you. Okay, Blake Botaro asks our next question at Ball Don't Lie seventy seven on Twitter. Who and they ask, do you get the sense that Nurk is ahead of schedule in his recovery? I know the team will be very cautious and bring him back slowly, but I've got this gut feeling he's going to surprise us. I I guess it depends on what you mean by ahead of schedule. Uh, we heard we've heard. February since since the off season February so if he comes back in February that seems like on schedule to me uh, there's one report that he's out till after the all-star break so if he comes before the all-star break maybe you could say that's ahead of schedule there was also another report from uh, Jason Quick this week that said that the Blazers haven't ruled him out for anything beyond these next three games so that means if he were to come back on Wednesday against the Rockets then he would be ahead of schedule even though they've ruled him out um I I get the sense that he's really itching to play and that um, he's very very close. But I don't I don't think he's going to play. I don't think he's going to play this week. I think he's play Wednesday against the Rockets or um, or against uh, the Lakers on Friday night. So maybe maybe Saturday. Maybe Saturday. That's just total speculation. Um, for like the earliest he could possibly come back. I'm not reporting anything there. Uh, but I don't know. I don't know. I think they're more, I think you're right. I think they're more likely to be cautious. Um, whenever they decide to bring him back, it'll be a surprise because they're just going to do it out of the blue. Um, or Woj is going to, re- uh, report it the day before it happens and kind of spoil the fun. Um, next question comes from Matthew at Reverend Romulus on Twitter, who asks, with all the nineties players that have stayed connected to the franchise past their playing careers, Porter, Grant, Kersey, he notes, rest in peace. I should care, should I care that Clyde Drexler seems to want nothing to do with the Trailblazers? Did I choose the wrong player to have a poster of as a child? Matthew, you did. You should have had Jerome Kersey. He's incredibly, he was incredibly fun. Incredibly fun. Um, But no, Clyde Drexler was the best player on those teams. He was the second best shooting guard in the NBA for a brief period. Um, If, you know, he was just the guy who wasn't Drexler, the the um, shout out to the podcast we already had Clyde because they already had Clyde, um, but yeah, I I don't know that that Drexler turned down the Blazers specifically. There was '90s night on Sunday. The Blazers brought back a bunch of '90s um, people from the '90s: Rod Strickland, Jermaine O'Neal, Chris Dudley. Um, um, those are the ones I can just remember off the top of my head. But they were all in the building. Terry Porter, um, they were all in the building. Um, I know that they they reached out to Clyde. I don't know that he outwardly rejected them, but I do know that he was not there. So yeah, it's a bummer. He's um, he just aligns himself with the Rockets. It's it's um, it stinks because uh, the Blazers fans will welcome back immediately. It would it wouldn't it wouldn't even be a thing. Okay, next question comes from Steve Hoyt da- Steve Hoyt Macbeth at Hoyt Macbeth on Twitter who asks. With the Portland Thorns' great attendance and two arenas to fill, why don't the Blazers bring back a WNBA franchise to Portland? Steve, I want to caution you here. 
You are conflating an interest in one women's sport, the, the idea that people who like women's sports like all women's sports. That is um, teetering on sexist. I'm just going to throw it out there for you, Steve. That is sounding like sexism. I think the thing that you would like to point out is that the Blazers fill games for the Portland Thorns. They fill games for the Portland Timbers. They fill the arena for the Trailblazers. The Portland Winterhawks are, do very well fan-wise. This is just a really good sports city. The WNBA would do well here because people like basketball and people like sports. It has nothing to do with their preference for another women's athletic endeavor. That's a silly thing to conflate. I caution you to not do that again. But yeah, the WNBA would do really well here. Um, They should bring it back. Straight up. Esoteric Eric has our next question. At Esoteric underscore Eric on Twitter. Asks. Dame has made it clear he feels like this team can make the playoffs. If you could pluck any Blazer from history to help them make the push, who would it be? This one's easy for me. It is Bill Walton. When Bill Walton got hurt in 1978, he was the best player in the NBA. The Blazers were 50-10. and 10. He did not play the final 22 games of the season. He won MVP. He'd come off the championship where he beat Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, one of the most underrated greats in the history of the league, head-to-head in the Western Conference Finals, and then taken down a very good Philly team in the Finals. Bill Walton was a great defender, rebounder, passer. Um, He would be the perfect complement to Dame. I think he would work really well in this era. Walton is the answer. He's the best singular talent in Blazers history. He's not the best Blazer of all time or even the second best Blazer of all time. But he's the singular, he was he was at his peak, better than any Blazer has ever been. All right, in third segment, more questions. But first, I want to tell you all about advertising on this podcast. If you've been a listener on this podcast, I'm sure you've heard all the great advertisers working with Locked On. But you may not know that Locked On Blazers is a great, great way for your local business to reach passionate Trailblazers fans just like you. And unlike other podcasts, Locked On Blazers gives your local company the unique ability to reach local podcast listeners right here in the Portland area. And it's not just any podcast listener, it's a Locked On Blazers podcast listener, the best type of listener. So if your company wants to connect with Blazer fans, then let's put your company right here on this Locked On podcast. Local fans love to support local businesses. So... Text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash advertising and let us know who you are. We'll get our team to help your team achieve Locked On Advertising success. Once again, text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash advertising. We look forward to hearing from you. All right, welcome back. Still Locked On Blazers, still Mike Richmond. This is still Mailbag Monday, and we are rolling along. Third segment to close out the show. This next one comes from Sir Wheezy at Wheezy Sir on Twitter, who asks, With the trade deadline approaching in less than two weeks, any updates on what you believe will happen with Whiteside and his contract? So prior to the news that Kobe Bryant passed away on Sunday, I reached out to someone who would know this type of thing and I said hey what do you think you think they'd trade Whiteside and they said seems difficult that was the only text the only response to the text I got back (laughs) I didn't call um should have called uh but 
So my read on that without getting too deep into who and what that is, um, is that the market is tough for Hassan Whiteside and that uh, not, just there's not a lot of teams that need that need him, need a big money um need a large contract to shed money they need a center need uh want his bird rights to sign him in the offseason all those things um i think there's going to be i think it's tough sledding to say to trade whiteside i do not think that that means the blazers will stop trying i think they'll probably make phone calls i think there's a lot of stuff that happens two days before the trade deadline when um when deadlines spur action in teams and, and stuff can get done in a hurry, that it could happen. It could, could happen. I just think, um, I don't think there's a big market out there. The the Kings have been trying to trade Dwayne Dedman for a month, but instead of trading him, they brought him back to the lineup tonight. Um, Dedman, more more money on his contract, probably not as good as Hassan Whiteside, debatable. I don't know. He hasn't been as good this year. I think that's pretty clear. So, you know, there's, um, but, he, but he makes less money in the, in the, this season, so if there's no, seems like trading a center is hard in the NBA. I guess what I'm trying to say. So I, if I had to guess, guess, and that's all I'm doing here, guess, Whiteside's still on the team. They keep him. Okay, next question comes from Brady Vogue at Brady Vogue on Twitter, who asks, "I was hoping you could explain how Nurk being plugged into the starting lineup come off injury." Coming off an injury makes his minutes easier to manage when he gets back. I think you mentioned that being the case in a previous podcast. I did, Brody. I I had to go back and listen to this segment because I was not sure what you were talking about. But I misspoke when I said that. I think instead of minutes, I should have said workload. Um, I think putting him in with the starters allows to maximize what you get out of Nurk. Um, bring him off the bench. Obviously, you can, it's easier to control guys' minutes when they don't start um, because you can kind of decide when you bring them back um and if they're playing well you can ex- you can extend them um if they're starters then the, um, if they're in the natural starting group you kind of got to stagger them and then figure out at the end of the game when do you sub them out and when do you bring their their replacement back in because you can't play the backup center 18 consecutive game minutes you know um that's that's just hard to do so it's it's easier to manage um guys minutes off the bench but so i did misspeak when i said that but workload i feel like the workload is a big thing with nurk if you play him with the starters you maximize when he his time with dame you maximize how good you can be you raise your ceiling the most when he plays with damian load um and you don't ask him to run a bunch of post-ups and expend himself as the focal point of the offense with uh, a bench lineup or say he's running two-man game with um Anthony Simons, ton of time. I think he's much better as that sort of fourth option, Dame, CJ, Mello, Nurk in the starting group in terms of getting, maximizing him and not and not exhausting him when you bring him back. So yeah, Brody, thanks for catching that because I did I did say something foolish when I explained that. Okay, next question comes from Neil Olshay's burner account at Peyton PDX, who asks, does Damian Lillard possess balls of steel? Um, it's a little blue, a little blue for this podcast. We do occasionally swear on here, but we're not that crass pain pdx uh no he does seem to be getting hit below the belt a lot recently um it happens when you're a low guy who goes hard to the paint um he got kicked below the belt by tj warren it looked terrible um but no i don't i think he's just a normal normal humanoid okay next question comes from amy hall her third of the podcast i believe that's a record guys these aren't these aren't um one question in a tweet either these are three separate tweets Accounting rocks, setting 
Locked On Blazers records out here. Amy asks, Hypothetical, if you could make your dream starting lineup to support Dame with current NBA players, what would it be? Okay, this might be dumb uh, because it's like, get the good players on the team. Um, but my dream starting lineup would be Dame, Clay, Kawhi, LeBron, Joel Embiid. Uh, let me give you my reasoning. Kawhi and LeBron are very good. They seem no-brainers. Getting an elite wing defender like Kawhi is incredibly valuable. Um, he's also one of the five best players in the league. LeBron is, at worst, the second best player of all time in my eyes. Um, Joel Embiid is an elite, elite, elite defensive player when he plays. We're going to assume that he has perfect health. And Clay is just the perfect complement for Damian Lillard. One, he's 6'7", he can guard, and he can guard guards um, that Dame doesn't match up as well against. Um, and he doesn't need to dribble to be really good. It's his The secret sauce of Clay as a complementary player is that he doesn't need to dribble. He doesn't need the ball. You don't have to defer. You just find him in moments and he shoots. Um, he has those games where he dribbles seven times and makes 12 threes or whatever it is. Um, he would be a perfect compliment. So yeah, Dame, Clay Thompson, Kawhi Leonard, LeBron James, Joel Embiid. Um, it doesn't work with like salary cap stuff, but when I started to try to do all of that, um, it got too confusing. Um, but yeah, I think that'd be a really good group, obviously. All right, closing out the show. One final question from the Score Zag Score podcast at Score Zag Score on Twitter. Who asks? I know you love your hypotheticals. I do. I close the show with two hypotheticals. I love them. You are correct. If you could pick one player in NBA history to work with Zach Collins on his game this offseason, who would it be and why? So I think the classic answer to this is Hakeem Olajuwon. He's kind of like the big man whisperer that guys go to to to, to sharpen their post game. Uh, he worked with Dwight Howard. I believe he worked with Kobe Bryant. Um, he's like, he's the guy, right? I also heard once that he charges like an outrageous amount of money for these consultations. Like, the, I might be wrong on this 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 number, but it's something like $40,000 for the afternoon. That is a hustle, Mr. Elijah and I salute you. Um, but yeah, I think the better um, people to maybe connect with Zach Collins, if I really had to pick score, Zach score, would be maybe NBA legends Ronnie Turioff and Robert Sacre. Uh, I I don't know why, but I just feel like they'd really connect with Zach on a certain level. I feel like um, Ronnie Turioff and Robert Sacre would just be the perfect big men to get the most out of Zach Collins. You feel me? All right, that's going to do it for this episode. I really sincerely appreciate all of you who submitted questions. I adore Mailbag Monday. I hope you do too. It's fun to hear all of your questions. It's fun to parse out your uh, hypotheticals. Uh, it, it's um, it's just a wonderful time. It's I, I love the Lockdown Blazers community and I appreciate all of you for making it what it is. I couldn't do this without you. I also couldn't do this without you telling your friends about this podcast so we can help this community grow. If you like the Blazers and you like this podcast and you have friends who like the Blazers, maybe tell them about this podcast. Tell them they can find it on Google, Apple, Stitcher, and Spotify. Oh, and tell them if they want to get involved in Mailbag Monday or heck, and maybe you already listened to this podcast, but you just forgot how you can get involved in Mailbag Monday. Two easy ways. Either tweet at Mike G. Rich whenever there is a question on your mind or wait for Monday mornings when I put out the tweet soliciting your questions. Respond to that tweet. I'll get them right here. I believe I hit every single one this week, 100%, unless 
Someone has sent me a tweet while I'm recording this podcast. But I have a pretty good track record. And I love doing it. So please send them in. We'll keep it rolling. I appreciate you all for listening. Talk to you soon.